What is going on, guys? Welcome to another episode of the Boom Boom Performance Podcast. Today's episode is my good friend, Dr. Sean from Active Life RX. So today's episode actually wasn't supposed to air today, but because of some technical difficulties with the guest who was supposed to be on today, we skipped right ahead and went right to Dr. Sean. And I'm actually pumped for you guys to listen to this one anyway, because we go super in depth on what really is going on with your body. What really happens with training, how to really heal your body, how to really move better, how to really build muscle, build strength, get better performance, everything you want to know about how to train harder, how to train better, and most importantly, how to train longer. There's a lot of injuries in the industry. There's a lot of common nagging pains, a lot of imbalances, a lot of different things, and there's a lot of misinformation, misinterpreted information out there about how we should train, how we should prepare our bodies, how we should recover our bodies, so on and so forth. And we have a lot of people out there who are doing more damage than benefit when it comes to their training programs. And we're going to dig into a lot of that today. We're going to talk about what Sean does, what Active Life RX is about, how they grew to be such a big company doing such big things around the world, um, and what their philosophies are and how they program design, what the best things to do for a bad squat, bad deadlift, bad bench. What are the most common mistakes with the deadlift, bench, squat, all these different things. We're going to get into a ton of information and he's going to share some mindset principles as well because one thing I really appreciate and respect about Sean, it's it's way more than just movement. It's way more than just training. It's way more than just a lifestyle. There's so much involved with the coaching aspect with him about mindset and how you perceive things, how your affirmations line up with your goals, so on and so forth. And It was a really powerful interview, and I'm super pumped to have him on the show. He's a good friend of mine, and uh, now you guys are going to get to learn from him just like I did. So without any further ado, I give you Dr. Sean from Active Life Rx. So Sean, let's uh, let's start with, and I didn't even get a chance to talk to you about this in D.C., which I wish I would have done, man, is, is... how did you get into what you do today? Like, where did it all start? Active Life RX. Dude, that is a story that I could spend this entire podcast talking and you wouldn't even get another question as far <laughs> Let's as get the into it. to that. Let's get okay. into it. I'll give you as much of a, a nutshell answer to that as possible. Perfect. I, I always knew, even when I was a kid, that I wanted to be able to do something at scale. I didn't know that that's what I wanted. I just knew that I wanted the things that come from running a business that operates at scale. You know, I remember my grandmother asking me when I was in like elementary school, what do you want to do when you grow up? I said, I want to be rich. <laughs> and, and, and it really had, it had nothing to do with being rich. It was, I want to go to work for myself. I want to work as much as I want to work. I want to go when I want to work. I want to wear what I want to wear. I want to go on vacation when I want to go. I want to take who I want to take with me. And in order to do all those things, you need to have enough money to do them. And that's what I was really describing when I told my grandma, I want to be rich. So I got into, you know, my father was a chiropractor. He always had a a good life for myself, my sister, my mother. We, We lived a fairly easy childhood. There wasn't a lot of adversity for us growing up as white people in a white suburban town you know, 45 minutes southeast of Manhattan and 15 minutes north of the beach. It wasn't really hard. Right. Um, But what does come with that is the want to be able to outkick it, if that makes sense. You know, to, to say, okay, well, this is what dad provided for us, and that's badass. So I better do better than that for my family. Yeah. Because I haven't, you know, what's my excuse? And, and so there is a, a level of, I guess you could call it internally induced pressure that comes with that. And I always wanted to do something big. So I started off as a personal trainer because I wanted to, I love fitness. I love being in good shape. I love knowing about the body and I wanted to be able to, to run like, you know, lifestyles of the rich or whatever it was, it was on VH1 was a big show back then. Yeah, It was like um, an inside look. And I was like, I'm going to run a gym that only caters to super wealthy people that you don't even know is a gym if you're not invited. Cool, right? Like a house in some really, really ritzy area that's actually a gym. 
that was a terrible idea. But you know, I didn't know it. So I started off as a personal trainer working at um, at the worst gym I could find. So I could make all my mistakes there, scaled up, started working at Equinox uh, because they were the business. And essentially Equinox tells you that you could you could be full time here, but it's probably gonna take you about six months to get there. So okay, cool, I can deal. And I got to full time in five weeks because I was just willing to do things other coaches weren't. And as soon as that happened, like five weeks in, I knew I'm like, okay, I'm not going to be long for this place because I don't want to manage people who can't figure out how to do what I did right there. That wasn't really that hard. It's not, it's not what I want to do for a salary for somebody else. So I also was frustrated because I had clients who I couldn't get well because they were hurt. I'm like, well, my dad can probably do it. So I'm going to go to chiropractic school, go to chiropractic school, come out, start working in my dad's office, which was great. He was paying me 300 bucks a week plus commission, which you know was, was nothing. But to learn, to cut my teeth, to get into the business of it. And, and I found that I didn't love treating patients the traditional chiropractic way. I was treating them on the side at a CrossFit gym and I was enjoying that much more. So I just said to my buddy who I knew owned across the gym in Pennsylvania, I said, how about this? I like business and I like taking care of people. You like running a gym. Let's open our own CrossFit gym. I'll open a clinic associated with it. We'll run with it. He's like, cool, let's do it. So he moves back to Long Island, we opened a gym. And October 25th, 2012, we found out that we had won a lawsuit with our next door neighbor that we were in for about six months over noise violations. He thought we were being too loud and he sued us. So $120,000 of court fees later, we won. Great. Awesome. You know, we're still broke. And then that's October 25th, October 29th, Hurricane Sandy comes and wipes out our entire lives. My home, my clinic, my gym. I'm like, okay, this sucks. What are we going to do? Um, and that was the day that I decided that in the future, I didn't know how I would do it yet. I would have a business that was unaffected by things that I had no control over as much as possible. And that it wasn't going to be a brick and mortar. So we reopened the gym and the clinic four months later. And to cut to the chase, I ended up splitting with that partner and finding a new partner who helped me to develop my programming side, if you will. And we just, we were getting patients coming to see us who were getting results they weren't getting anywhere else because of our combination of chiropractic, soft tissue work, exercise rehabilitation, and return to play protocols. So it wasn't like your typical chiropractic or physical therapy clinic at all. And eventually people were flying and we had patients fly out from Australia, Norway, Finland, Spain, Brazil, and like 22 states in 2017 for treatment. Wow. With us. Wow. Yeah, it was really cool. But the thing is, we were, we were now helping these people remotely too, because we had a patient who just, it just worked out. Like this guy moved and he's like, hey, can you keep helping me? I'm like, I guess, you know, sure, we'll try. We have no idea. So we help him. It goes well. He's like, hey, can you help my friend? Like, I, we never met this guy. I don't know. We'll try. We help his friend. And he's like, hey, you need to meet my other friend who owns a company that services CrossFitters. It's called Brute Strength. And if you're in CrossFit, you know it's a big company. Yeah. So I'm like, okay, cool. Like, yeah. So now we start working with their elite athletes, doing a kick-ass job for them. And it's like, wow, you know what? We have like a little business here. And we just grew it and grew it and grew it. And uh, that partnership ended up splitting as well story of my life it's a common theme with me (laughs) i don't have conversations with people before we start about where i want to take something like where my vision for it is and uh, that has gotten in the way for me in the past so i make sure to do that now but as of january this year i took that over you know the clinic and the gym are now with my ex-business partner who helped me start the online business and uh i have the online business with with our third partner and that's where we are. So now I'm just full-time, what I like to say, I turned pro January 1, 2018. 
I love it, dude. This It's such a revolutionary thing because obviously online coaching is a huge component, chiropractic, huge component, physical therapy, huge component. But to be able to remotely do that wherever and to service people around the world just takes everything to an entirely new level. So let's, let's kind of get into that process. Like run me through it. Like, where do we start? How do I get involved? Like I'm a client that reaches out to you. I got a ton of nagging injuries and pains. Like what is, how do you go about assessing and, and progressing essentially? So it actually starts before that. It starts with a conversation because people come to us, they think because their back hurts or because their knee or their shoulder hurts, whatever, whatever the injury is, right? They're like, I need help because my shoulder or back hurts. And say, well, we're not a medical service. So we might be able to help you get out of pain, but it's not really what we do. And I'm like, what do, you, what do you mean? Like, I thought you are the company who's helped thousands of people get out of pain without going to the doctor or missing the gym. That's like your tagline. Like it is, and that does happen but it's a byproduct of something much bigger. And they're like, well, what does that mean? I say, why now? And that's where it all starts. Because you come to me in back pain, and I say to people, when did your back pain start? It's very rare that they say this morning. Right? You can imagine that? Yeah, absolutely. So, so, so the question that I always follow that with is, well, why now then? You know, and the answer to that question for them always lies in, the pain became aggravating enough or chronic enough that they are scared or sad that they're unable to do something that they used to be able to do and enjoy doing. And they're fearful that they'll never be able to do it again. That's why they took the action now. It's, it's, it's the loss of the ability to get on one knee and play with their kid. It's the inability to go to the gym and just get after it. It's those things that the people are coming to us for. It's for a clearing up of their uncertainty of their future. That's what we're all about. You're afraid you're not going to be able to do what you used to do. I can help you. Now we're talking. It's the same as when someone comes to you for nutrition. They don't come because they want to lose 20 pounds. Because if you said, well, how do you choose 20? Why not 19? They'd be like, I don't know, man. 20 just seemed like a good number. <laughs> You're like, okay. Well, why lose weight at all? Well, I don't love the way I look. Well, why don't you love the way you look? It's a totally different conversation, you know? Yeah. And then now we're talking to people and it's like, okay, well, before I start with you, I want to be really upfront. This is a commitment. I'm not interested in taking you on as a month-to-month client who's going to constantly be making decisions about buying based on your capacity to commit. Because it's like drinking water. If you do it, you don't end up thirsty. So if you're thirsty at the end of the month, it's because you didn't drink your water. I don't want you quitting because you decided not to drink your water. So I need you to sign up for a year. And it's going to be about $2,000. It's 1990. Are you down with that? And we start there. You know, then it becomes the conversation of how we're going to help and the assessment. So I'll get into the meat and potatoes for you because I know that's what you really want to hear. It's what you asked about. But the assessment is a nine-day-long assessment that somebody does from whatever gym they want, wherever they're at. You know, our target client, the perfect person for us, is somebody who is – motivated to start, um, inspired to continue and disciplined to do what needs to be done. They are tired of the way that they feel. They are willing to do anything that's asked of them, including shift their mindset to get well. And they probably exhausted their options going to see physical therapists, chiropractors, orthopedists, acupuncture, massage, whoever. And they're tired of being told, you just can't do what you like to do anymore. So when those people come to us, we do a bang up job for them. They need to be comfortable in the gym though, because the assessment happens there. So, so it's nine days. I, I, sorry, sorry to interrupt. Cause I just want to, I want to no, chime in real quick. Cause first and foremost, I love the consistency aspect. Like you, you make it very clear that like, this is a commitment. And I think that's huge because however long it took you to build up that injury, which was probably like 
repetition after repetition after repetition of just shitty form essentially that just led to this. It's obviously going to take you a long time to fix that too and to be normal again. But what separates you from the physical therapist? Because you just said like right there, like they've pretty much exhausted their chiropractic and their physical therapy sessions and all that stuff. And they're just not fixed. So what bridges the gap between you and them? I want to go back a step there because um, I want to, I, I need to correct you on something that people have a misconception of when they work with us. It doesn't take a long time. It is quick. People do feel better very fast. The reason why we switched from telling people like, oh, go ahead and sign up month to month. I mean, look, if you really want to, you still can. It's just much more expensive. But the reason why we sign people up for the year is because most people sign up with us when they don't talk to me first, they sign up month to month because their thought is once I'm out of pain, I'm going to be good to go and I'm going to quit. And three months later, they're out of pain. 16 months later, they're still a client. Why are they still a client if they're out of pain and their goal when they signed up with us was to get out of pain? They've been out of pain for 13 months. Why are you still paying us? Afraid to go back. And No, it's not that. The answer is because they never came to us for the pain. Mm. They came to us for the other things. And they're able to do more of those things than they ever were before. And we talk to them about taking the roof off on the limits of what they think they're going to be able to do. And now they're like, holy shit, I can't believe how much more I can do now than I was able to do even before I got hurt. I can't imagine what I'll be able to do if I keep doing this. So it's worth it. That's why we have clients for life. But they're out of pain fairly fast. Because the the thing that, one of the biggest things that makes us different is you walk into a doctor's office, what's going on? You tell them everything that's wrong with you. They're like, all right, let me see the bad knee. Right? Everyone who's been to a doctor has heard that. So you have a bad back, you know, you tell them you have a bad back or a bad knee and they just accept it. We don't accept that. You can't say I have a bad knee with us. You don't get to say I have a bad back with us, bad shoulder. You don't get to use those excuses because what happens is when you, when you, when you have that self-talk, you convince yourself it's true. It's just like waking up every day and saying, I'm a little bit dumber than all of my friends. You know, after a while, you're going to believe that you're dumber than all of your friends, even if the first day you did it, it was totally experimental and you thought you were smarter than everybody you knew. Yeah. So we don't let people say that. And what happens is inside of two, three months, people are like, I don't remember what I used to feel like, physically or mentally. And that's the biggest thing that makes us different. The other thing is we're not scared. We're not a medical service. I'm not worried about you know, causing you a little bit of discomfort while you train. Discomfort's normal. Pain is panic. Pain is an emotion. Let's make that objective instead of letting it be something that we guide all our decisions with. You know, if, if, if you trip and fall, Cody, and you're walking next to somebody who never played sports, you played soccer, right? So you tripped and fell all the time. If you were walking with somebody who never tripped and fell in their life and you both roll your ankle at the same time, you're going to walk it off, but the other person's going to sit down and call an ambulance. Right. It's, it's all about perception. So we clear that all up during our assessment. Okay. I got it. I, I, to me, it sounds like you, you factor in what a real coach is into this whole entire thing, because you're talking mindset, you're talking perception, you're talking how people go about obviously their day-to-day action, their training, commitment, all these different things where a a PT, you go in, you get treated real quick. They tell you to chill out when you go home and then you're out. Yeah. And the other thing about a PT or a chiropractor or or most places you're going to go, I don't want to generalize. This is a most, not all situation. Right. You go in with shoulder pain, where are they going to look? Shoulder. Yeah. What if it's not your shoulder? You know, we, we've had professional baseball players fly out to see us from Arizona, from Louisiana, from Texas. And this is when I was still in clinic. And they'll come out and they're like, yeah, you know, they're, talk, they're talking about shaving down my collarbone. 
because it just grinds with my shoulder and the ligaments are all getting stretched out and it's problematic. So they're thinking that they're going to cut off like the lateral third and that should clear up a lot of my pain because nothing else they've done to my shoulder is helping. And we watch them move and I'll be like, dude, when you were pitching, when you were throwing a hundred miles an hour, you were finishing over your front foot. It was beautiful. Now you're spinning off the mound after every single pitch. What changed? And then we start looking at toes, ankles, knees, hips, and we find, oh, wow, the hip doesn't go through full range of motion anymore. I wonder why not. I wonder what changed there. That doesn't matter so much as when the hip doesn't go through full range of motion, the player can't land in the same position he's landed in for 27 years. Now he's got to land somewhere different, and he's still trying to throw 100 miles an hour. And guess what takes the beating? His shoulder. So the problem isn't actually in the shoulder. The shoulder moves great. The problem is in the hip. So we fix the hip. We send him on his way, and all of a sudden, he's back to throwing 100 miles an hour three months ago. I mean, three months later, and he's got no shoulder pain. So when you go see somebody with a prescription to see them, and they have to treat you a certain way for an insurance company to pay them, it's just like it's, it's, it's set up to fail from the beginning. 100%. And I think like, I don't remember who I want to say it was Dan John actually that said this a long time ago, but the thing is never the thing. And I think that obviously applies here quite well. Um, going back to just starting the process. Now you're talking about like the nitty gritty stuff and I like it, but let's, let's take a step back and go, how do you, how do you prescribe like this to the masses? Because obviously if a professional baseball player flies out to you, you can work hands on with him, but let's say I just go to your website and I decide to sign up and, and I'm going to get moving. How does the assessment process go once you've got the buy-in, once you know they're committed, once you know they're going to be here for a year plus, what's the next step? Yep. So it's a nine-day assessment. And the assessment is all done online. And what we look for is we have, nine seems to be the magic number right now, but we have a nine movement video that we want you to film. Uh, We want to see how well your shoulders go through various ranges of motion, how well your hips go through various ranges of motion, your ankles, your knees, and so on and so forth, your spine. And what we're looking for is sensitive but not specific findings. You know, we're going to see that somebody has limited shoulder flexion, for example. They can't raise their hand in front of them all the way up and get their arm to their ear. But that person has shoulder pain, and that person goes to the gym and does kipping pull-ups all the time. It's like, well, dude, simple start. You can't get into the position that kipping pull-ups require. That's a problem. We have to create an opportunity for you to get into that position before you start doing kipping pull-ups. So it's nine days of assessment where it starts with movement. We just want to look at movement. And then we start looking at strength, force production. And the idea of that is motor control and um, synergistic muscles working together. The idea that if you can do 20 pull-ups and you weigh 150 pounds, how much weight can you pull in the opposite direction? You know, a pull-up, you're rotating your shoulder blades down. What about a high pull? You're rotating your shoulder blade up. There should be a relationship there. Mm. Now, you can do one rep at this. You should be able to do 20 at this. There should be a relationship there. If those relationships are off, what we find is that people, we can predict very, very well. We'll get into a conversation because after the assessment's over, we call our client and it becomes, let's talk about what we found. And we'll say something like, hey, you really don't like the other four cuts, do you? And they didn't tell us anything about that. And they're like, no, you're there for their shoulder." They're like, no, I hate deadlifts workouts. How did you know that? Like your numbers tell us, you know? So, so now what happens is that person has a cascade of things that we want to take care of, not just their shoulder. So when we look at all these numbers, we put them together. We look at the way that they produce force. We look at the way that they move. We look at the way they produce force under fatigue. We have a really good picture of the athlete. Then we have a conversation with them. And that conversation gives us a really good picture of the mindset. Previous to all of this, they fill out a questionnaire that's 18 questions long that gives us a really good understanding of what they're trying to accomplish. And then we get after it. And, and, and they get written, they get one week of programming written. And they, they don't get a month, they don't get six weeks, it's not their whole program. You get one week because that's all that we know. So the coach who works with you is going to write you one week 
And then based on how you perform in that week, they're going to progress, regress, maintain, or completely change what you're doing. And that happens every single week. They're reevaluating their decision-making every single week to the point that we have audits that we'll do with our staff where we jump in and I'll be like, hey, Matt, why did you choose to do 12 reps on Wednesday with Joni? <coughs> and I'll be like, oh, let's talk about that. And we, we can audit down to that fine detail so that we have control over all of it. So <laughs> what, when, I, when I went on your website, they're uh... – it sounds like the workouts are pretty short, right? Like I, I think I saw like 10 to 20 minutes, four times a week, just stuff like that. Is this basically a, not necessarily a warm up, but it is what you're doing prior to training? Or do you tell these athletes like, hey, I want you to stop training and just do what we're programming for you? Or is it all kind of built in? It depends. What you were looking at was our template programs, <clears throat> which is kind of like for the person who really isn't ready to commit all the way or doesn't want to spend the money they will jump into a templated program, which is all of our most common findings thrown together. So some of what they're doing is useful. Some of what they're doing is, is less valuable to them in that moment. And that's 10 to 20 minutes worth of work each day that they should do prior to their workout. It won't be easy though. Just because it's short doesn't make it easy. Right. And then what we tell them is just avoid redundancy. You know, so if you're doing a lot of pressing here and you're pressing the gym that day, don't press twice. When we work with clients one-on-one, -on -one, that could be anywhere from 15 minutes a day to an hour. It really, it really depends on what they're looking for, what their needs are, and how fast they want their results. You know, if I, I'm working with 27 games athletes last year. I don't know what it'll end up being this year from CrossFit. And one of them is Rich Froning. And he's won the games four years as an individual, two years as a teammate, and once he took second and after the games last year, he needed to get his knees operated on. It's public knowledge. He talked about it. I'm not spilling any beans. And that's when we really started working together with my job between regionals and the games to keep him in one piece. So we could compete at the games. And then after the games, it was to get him back. He was getting an hour and 20 minutes worth of programming from me every single day, six days a week. That's what he needed. So is it all, 100% focused on just fixing him or is because obviously if an athlete is going to go compete again, they got to work on strength and gymnastics and all this stuff too. So is it really just about changing variations to maintain their strength and endurance and all these things? Or is it still like we're progressing? We just have to do it a completely different way than you've done in the past. It's that it's, it's that we have the same goal. It's to get you as fit as possible, as fast as possible. If your goal is to be as fit as possible. Okay. And the way that we believe you need to do that is this. Let's get you healthy first. Because if you're healthy, then you can lay a ton of programming volume and intensity on top of a healthy structure. And then my role falls back. Then it becomes managing for tendon health. You know, right now, Rich gets like 20 minutes a day from me. It's just to make sure that, you know, when, when fast ring dips come up, his pec doesn't tear. So if he's got a bench press, he's not tearing a tendon. So when you go for a long run, his Achilles doesn't flare up. That's what I'm doing now. It's a different time of year. Right. So what yeah, are you, and, what, and we, we don't we, we don't program CrossFit. We don't program squat cleans. We don't program muscle ups. We don't program running, you know, unless if it's for tolerance testing. We don't program the the stuff that looks sexy. We program the stuff that allows you to do the stuff that looks sexy. That's actually a great segue to what something I wanted to ask you is what, cause I think a lot of people assume, and I'm not huge into the CrossFit space as you know, but a lot of people have asked me questions as, you know, these guys doing the professional, like Rich Froning, for example, I don't think they're behind the scenes doing wads every day with a group in a CrossFit box to get to where they're at today. I think that their programming is a lot more intelligent and they're probably not doing as much of that stuff as people may assume. Now, I don't know because I'm not in the trenches of CrossFit, but I'd love to hear from you. Like what are these top level CrossFit athletes actually doing in the gym when they're not competing? Mostly too much. Really? You know, too much for, for, for most of them. I mean, you know, it's the problem with a sport like CrossFit in, in general 
is that the sport is performed at high intensity at all times. You know, you're, you're playing soccer, you sprint, you jog, you walk, you don't really stand still. You play lacrosse, you sprint, you jog, you walk, you don't really stand still. You play baseball, you sprint, you jog, you stand still a little bit, you know? Yeah. CrossFit, it's, you go, it's pedal down. And, you know, you might be pacing, but you're still pacing at an intensity that's, that's insane. So in CrossFit as a sport, a lot of these guys and girls feel like their training needs to reflect their performance. When in reality, that's not really the case. It does sometimes, but that's not where the gains are at. You know, it's like super short or super long and super low intensity. That's where the best athletes who I see are living. They're not spending a lot of time in that middle ground and they're not laying on their back after every single workout that they do. Which, by the way, trickles down into the gym and it becomes the problem in the gym because these everyday fitness athletes see these professional fitness athletes working extremely hard and laying on their back after every workout and they feel like that's what they need to do. So now when the gym programs something of low intensity, people don't show up. So the gym doesn't program it. Yeah. And I think that's one of the biggest issues is, is the average population seeing this stuff and then trying to mimic it as if that's what they need to do, especially when it's just aesthetic base, right? There's a lot of people out there who really just want to lose some fat and feel and look better, but they're going to these gyms and, and just going through grueling workouts until they're just smoked because they think that's what they have to do to get there. Yeah. And, and listen, the same thing happens in the bodybuilding world, you know, in the baseball world and in, in all of these worlds, it's, it's all about people think that in order to make up that, that half of a percent that's going to make me elite versus very good that I have to live at intensity. And it's, it's not always true. And so when you see people in a regular, in a global gym, you see them saying they're doing bicep curls and then they go do half rep pull-ups until their, their biceps can't do anything. And then they do it all over again and they lighten the load and they do something, you know, it's because they think that's what bodybuilders are doing all the time. It's not. And bodybuilders don't necessarily feel great. So yeah. why are you chasing that? Most don't. So let's apply that to aesthetics, actually. I'd be curious because I think it's if you have a, a very performance driven individual, especially somebody who competes, if you tell them that we need to work on your movement and your injury history and all these different things, because that's the only way you're going to perform better. I think a lot of people will jump on board with that. I think it's harder, at least in my experience, to get people to prioritize recovery and mobility and all these different things when all they care about is building some muscle and losing some fat when they don't yep. care about strength. They don't care about performance. So how do you relay that message and get the buy-in from those individuals who really just want to change the way they look? Sure. That's most people. Um, the, the answer to those people is simple. It's how long do you want to look that way for? Because if you just care, if you just care about looking great for like the next six months, then grind yourself to shit. I don't care. <laughs> But if you want to be able to look great for the next 16, 20, 30, 40 years, well, then you need to have joints that work. And what I'm asking you to do is not going to make you aesthetically unpleasing. You're going to get a sick pump out of it. I promise. The problem is actually harder for CrossFitters because they find themselves now too tired to do their hard workout because their muscles are so fatigued from what we just did. When I work with people who are just looking for aesthetics, I say, I, when we work with people who are just looking for aesthetics, they're like, this is great. This is like better than a workout. I get the pump I'm looking for. My joints feel awesome. And yeah, I'm going home. Love it. Do you think that range of motion, like improving range of motion, improving these imbalances actually ends up helping a lot of these people just build more muscle because they're going through the exercises as they're actually intended to go through? Without a doubt. Think, think of it this way. You know, the best example to give would be if we, if we looked at like a bicep curl, for example. If you can't do a little bit of shoulder flexion at the end of a bicep curl because your shoulder won't go there, you lose a little bit of that long head of the bicep in the movement. Anybody who's lifting weights with bicep curls understands that there's a little bit of forward movement of the, of the, of the, excuse me, of the upper arm to get that movement done. If you can't get there, 
you're losing performance in the lift that you're doing. When you look at squats, if your ankles won't go through range of motion at all, you're going to end up doing a good, you know, a good morning with your squat. That's not training your quads the way you want to. The fastest way to get stronger is to improve your range of motion so you can do things as your body is best built to do it. I love that. We see, think... people, we see people PR their squat all the time just because we improved the way their ankles work. I was going to say that's one of the probably the most underrated. I know that was huge for me. I was actually experiencing back pain. And it was like, this is years ago. The ankle was the last thing I finally addressed because back then I just did not think it could have anything to do with my ankle. And I was always hurting my back when I squatted, back squatted. And I fixed my ankles and I worked on my ankles for a a while and it helped so much. So I always prioritize that now. Yeah, look, they're also the most overdiagnosed problem. People are on Instagram these days. If you look through Instagram, and you watch a video or a photo of somebody doing a, a lift that's well understood, the peanut gallery of coaching is insane. <laughs> Bro, your ankles are, are stiff. You've got to do some ankle mobility drills. Hey, your hip isn't moving right. It's like, yo, you're watching somebody do a complex movement riddled with compensation meant to trick your eye so that their body can do something as close as possible to what it's intended to do. You have no fucking clue what's going on when you watch that video and neither do I. <laughs> I get clients who send me videos all the time of them doing a lift. And they're like, Hey, what's up with my shoulder when I do this? I'm like, I don't know. Let's break it down. Let's look at the shoulder by itself. Nothing. It's not your shoulder. Let's move on. Let's find out what else it could possibly be. If it's relevant. So the, the Insta coaching is crazy. It, it, it really is crazy, man. <laughs> Just Insta feedback in general is pretty ridiculous nowadays. But uh, let's, let's get into some practical stuff as far as specific movements. Because I'd like people to be able to listen to this and know like specific takeaways or things that they can start digging into. Because I know you got a ton of content out there that they can go research afterwards. What is the most common issue or problem <clears throat> you see with the squat, for example? Lack of tempo. So with a squat, what we see a lot is people just want to move as much weight as possible because they think that that's the, the key to their performance metric. People need to control the eccentric phase in the squat. The idea of like bouncing out of the bottom, that's fine. To, to get past like a, a weak spot, I get it. I understand why you're doing it. Have some control on the way down. The other thing about the squat is – your feet probably should not line up perfectly straight right underneath your hips. If, if I stand next to you and the way that you're squatting is X, the way I need to stand is probably not X. Most people don't have exactly the same hips as everybody else. There is even research to suggest that 20% or more of people have asymmetrical hip alignment between their own left and right hip. So you might need your left foot to go forward and your right foot to angle out to the side. If that's where you're comfortable, don't let some schmo in the gym tell you that you need to have both of your feet straight forward because that's how you end up with the knee pain that you're dealing with right now. You listen to some schmo in the gym. Dude, I love that so much because I think I always look at the squat kind of like a baseball swing, right? Like nobody has the same swing. And I'm not the mechanics guy, but everybody has different femur links. I believe there's different hip structures that everybody's going to have. Like you said, there's different things going on within those hip structures. There's different torso lengths. There's different patterns. There's so many things going on that I hate when I see people say like, this is the way to do X, Y, Z. And I think that applies across the board, training, nutrition, exercise, anything. But all you need to do is look at high-level sports, man. When is the last time that an American won gold at the Olympics on an Olympic lifting? It's not because we don't have the facilities or the resources. It's because the hip structures of the people who are in the countries that are constantly winning, in part, because of the hip structures. They're built perfect for squatting. You don't see many six foot five people winning Olympic lifting at the game at, at the at the Olympics. The same way you don't see many six foot five gymnasts. Like our bodies are built to do specific things. That's why um, the Highland Games exist. People from that region 
weren't good at squatting, but they're really good at rotation. The way their hips are built, really good at driving rotational forces. So they created the Highland Games. You know, it's, this, this stuff is not like rocket science. Not everybody's body is built to do the same thing as everybody else's body. That's both in kind and in type. So we all need to be able to squat at least to a toilet bowl and back up. But we don't all need to squat really heavy. Yeah, 100% agree. Let's, let's keep moving on this specific uh, application. What about uh, the deadlift? What's the biggest mistakes you see or the most common things? One of the most common things with the deadlift is that people will bend their knees too early on the way back down. They don't want to go through a real hinge. So as soon as they start to lower down their knees bend and their hips bend at the same time, essentially with leading to them squatting the barbell back down to the floor. You know, that's one of the bigger issues that we see. And we end up with some rounding of the lower back because it's difficult to stay in a neutral spine posture when, when your knees are bent and you're supposed to be hinging. So that's one of the issues that we see. Another issue that we see in the deadlift is people's ass flying straight up in the air as soon as they want to move the bar because they don't create that stiffness through their spine and their hips first. So it's just boom, fire the ass up, turn the hamstrings on. Let's see if we can jackhammer this baby up. Um, I would say those are probably the two biggest issues that we see with deadlifting. Rounding the back is, is a runaway number one, but I felt like if I said that, it would be obvious. Like your, your back is not supposed to round when you deadlift. Yeah, that being 100%. said, it's also not going to stay totally flat. It, there's going to be some arch to it. So where is your stance on a neutral spine? Like that was a huge thing that when everybody started talking about it, it was like every single movement you do, you need to be in a neutral, neutral, neutral spine. And then- dude, neutral spine is the biggest crock of shit. Like, <laughs> Thank you. It, some, sometimes, yes. Sometimes, yes. But if you think you're going to pick up the heaviest weight you're ever going to lift in your life and your spine isn't going to move at all, you're out of your mind. And if you think that your spine moving at all is dangerous, you're also wrong. It's your spine moving too much. And there's, that's going to be subjective from person to person. It's also your spine moving. So a lot of people, when they go to grab that really heavy load, their back immediately loses that neutrality and goes into a little bit of flexion. But then it doesn't move again. The bigger injury risk is the back that keeps moving through the lift. That's the risk. That's what you have to look for. Is the rounding becoming sharper? Is it becoming a larger round? If it is, stop. And we also see the opposite problem, which is athletes who like to brace an extension. So I think, uh, first of all, that's super, super helpful for people. I'd be curious, what is your stance on tension? Because you keep talking about like creating this rigid spine. You talk about creating tension before you lift. Um, slowing the squat down. I'm huge on tempos just for that reason. I don't, I think a lot of people use tempos back in the day to increase quote unquote time under tension because that was the secret to muscle growth. But I find it just super useful for people to learn how to actually move the weight properly without injuring themselves. Do you guys implement a lot of this stuff too? Yeah. But what you're talking about is for different reasons. So what I mean by that is you can use the same tool for two very different things. You know, I can use a spoon to eat soup or I could take it outside and dig a hole with it. You know, it's going to be better for eating soup, but I, I certainly could dig a hole. Tension, time under tension can be used to improve tendon health. It can be used to drive hypertrophy and it can be used to improve proprioception because the longer you're in a position, the better your body understands that position. I'm speaking in generalities. So if there's doctors out there, medical professionals, Strength conditioning coaches who want to pick the bone with me, feel free to send it my way and we'll clear anything up that you feel like is not exactly to your standard. But speaking in generalities, when you move slower through a range of motion, your body better understands how to move through that same range of motion. That's one reason to use tempo, but you don't always use it for that reason. So for example, if you want to squat your, you know, 90% of your one rep max, your true one rep max, tempo ain't going to cut it. You're, you're not going to be able to go down super slow and come up super slow. Like you got to go down and get out. So it depends on what you're trying to accomplish. There's always a tool for a task, but the wrong tool for the wrong task sucks. 
I love that dude. Super helpful again. What about the bench press? Let's get into that one. What is the biggest mistakes you see with that? Internal rotation of the shoulders. So people who don't understand how to properly lock their scapula back and down and actually use their lats to drive that bench up, they'll internally rotate their shoulders, their elbows flare out to the sides, and it's almost like they're trying to break the bar in half towards their groin. If that makes any sense to you to try to visualize, it's like they're trying to take that bar and break it by turning their thumbs down towards their feet as opposed to trying to break it, turning their thumbs up towards their head. And I find that that's a really common thing because people know how to drive with their delts and they don't know how to drive with their chest and their lats especially. But the bigger issue that we see on bench press than, 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 than that even is, you know, a reliance on it. Like what, why do you have to go so heavy on the bench? And why do you have to use a barbell? There's a million questions that come up there. Yeah. And by the way, I do go heavy on the bench and I do use a barbell and I feel really good about it. So I'm not saying you shouldn't do that. What I'm saying is for everything, for every action, there should be a reason. And people overdo bench press. 100% agree. What, so going off that, that makes me want to talk about the posterior chain real quick. What, how important is just training the posterior chain to you um, and what you guys do? I know for me personally, I, I tend to program a lot of rowing and a lot of just posterior chain in general compared to pushing and anterior chain stuff simply because I find that obviously people have a lot healthier shoulders, so on and so forth when, when going that route. Is that something that you guys preach as well or implement into your programming? everything fits in its place. So for us, we want to see that someone is doing enough horizontal pulling, vertical pulling, downward and upward, pushing horizontally, pushing vertically, pushing downward and upward. You know, we, we want to make sure that there's a good balance of all those things across the board. And we like to say that essentially for any, if you take any six weeks of your programming and you broke it down, you should be doing some kind of a hinge four times for every three times that you're going to squat, for every two times that you're going to push or pull or carry, and for every one time that you're going to transfer load from the ground through your hips. So if you're living in those kinds of ratios, you're probably experiencing less discomfort than other people. And now you look at it and you say, okay, well, I'm going to be stronger pulling back than pulling forward, or excuse me, pushing forward. So the posterior chain maybe gets a little bit more time spent on it than, than the anterior chain, if you will. But I think people misunderstand the posterior chain when they hear it said. I think people think, for example, oh, squatting is a posterior chain exercise. Well, kind of. I mean, it's more quad dominant than a deadlift, and the quads are definitely on the front of the body. So every, you know, th there's no such thing as a singular movement, like a, a no movement only does one thing. It, it requires all kinds of stuff to happen. Right. I, I love the way you broke that down. Actually, you went way deeper than I hear a lot of two to one ratios, three to one ratios, maybe. And it's literally just push to pull. Like I, that's as far as most people go. But the way you broke that down from hip hinge to squat to, to pulling from the floor and everything, that's that's huge takeaway for people. Well, we also I mean, one of the things that we started off doing a while back is we'll look at your programming in audio. You know, and then we'll look at the athlete who's doing your programming. You know, you work with a client. You have them doing this programming. It seems balanced, but they're still getting pain in their back. Why? We look at the way the athlete moves, and we're like, dude, every time you think that they're squatting, they're hinging. This person, every time that they're supposed to squat, they hinge. That's the person who, in the gym, you watch do a squat that looks like a good morning. Yeah. They go to the bottom, their ass shoots up, and then they just try to bring their torso up. So you can write down all the squatting that you want you might as well be giving them deadlifting five days in a row. That's what's what, wrong. What's your best advice for those people? I think there's a lot of people who fall into that category. If you're, if you're a coach and you're looking to make sure somebody is aesthetically where they want to be or your, your first and foremost objective is health before performance, where like, dude, you just got to put that weight up, which is never really the case, but it is sometimes more than in normal populations. Right. Shapes. Mind your shapes. 
someone's supposed to squat and that doesn't look like a squat, we'll change it until it does. Maybe take the bar off their back rack. You think back squatting is really important. Their body doesn't give a shit where that barbell is. <laughs> Put it on their front rack if that keeps them more vertical. Yeah. You know, so like if you want somebody to hinge and they can't do it, change the way you ask them to hinge. Yeah, my, my favorite my favorite excuse from an athlete will be, oh, you know, my technique gets much better when I add weight. I'm like, oh, so you mean you're fucking lazy when there's no <laughs> weight on the bar. Like, if you can't do it right with no weight, you're not loading it yeah, at all. 100%. So you obviously, like you said, you audit people's programmings. One of my qu- last questions that I have for you regarding training and stuff is, what are the most common mistakes that you see in already written programming obviously not yours but when you get an athlete or a general population or anybody in general what are the biggest mistakes you see within those programs the person's programming to the test instead of to the athlete so if you look at crossfit for example you know the test is fairly simple they they, they know like you need to be able to clean and snatch this to to get in the door you need to be able to deadlift this to get in the door your mile time needs to be this to get in the door and they think like, okay, well, this guy doesn't have great squatting. I got to build more and more and more and more squatting. We see so much squatting. It's, it's, it's actually dangerous for clients. And when I say squatting, I don't necessarily mean back or front squatting. That includes lunges, step-ups, split squats, squats, all, all types. Anything where the knee, the ankle, and the hip are opening at the same rate for us is considered a squat. So we see just too much of it. We see way too much um downward pulling and downward pressing and that's in all types of populations we don't see anywhere near enough carrying nobody's pumped to go to the gym when it's their day to pick up a 150 pound farmer's handle and take a walk like people just don't get pumped for it we don't see a lot of grinding work people are not grabbing a sled walking backwards for 200 meters with it we don't see a ton of tempo where stuff is being intentionally done just to build tendon durability. It has nothing to do with building strength in the muscles. It's to build tendon durability because it's the right thing to do at the time of year when it should be done. We don't see it. So when we see that kind of stuff, it's like, look, we can teach you how to do this. You just got to jump into our coach's immersion program, which is a 12-week long course where we teach you just like we teach our own staff. I love that, dude. That's huge. What I guess like the last thing I would have for you is before we get to the personality question, which I always, always have for my guests, but what is the like biggest takeaway that you can leave some of these people? There's a lot of trainers listening to this podcast and there's a lot of just general population people who are just in the gym on a very regular basis. What is like the biggest thing that you can push on these people that you can tell these people so they can take something and just kind of sit on it and implement something or just have something to actually work towards so they can start feeling better in the gym and last longer in the gym. You will become exactly what you tell yourself you're going to become. Period. It sounds like a really stupid, simple, foofy, mindset, zen, bullshit kind of statement. (laughs) But if, if if you stop saying, I have a bad name, and you start saying... I have a knee that is going to feel good. I just need to do more work on it. You're going to wake up and do that work. If you say, I'm fat, you're going to be fat. If you say, I'm working towards a six-pack, you're going to work towards that six-pack. And what that means is that when a trainer who you're working with is ineffective, you're not going to tolerate it. So you will become exactly what you tell yourself you're going to become. That's the biggest thing that anybody listening to this needs to take home with. I love that, dude. I'm so big on self-affirmations, period. So, I mean, I write them every single day. So I'm, I'm huge on that and just, just changing your mindset. Where can everybody dude, find – go ahead. Before you – I'll, I'll give you an example of that in real time. It's like the most proud thing I have in my entire life. Forget about the business. Forget about the clients and the, the, the awards and the accolades and stuff like that. Of course, the dog wants to bark now. The thing I'm the most proud of in my life is I have a three-year-old daughter. She's a little bit over three. And 
if anyone knows what a three-year-old is like, they get frustrated from time to time. Right. And they throw temper tantrums and they want to quit and they, they stop. So I have a thing with my three-year-old one night I taught her, you know, every day, first of all, we wake up and she says her affirmations. I am kind. I am smart. I am beautiful. I am grateful. I am confident. I am Mackenzie and I can. So that's her affirmations that she says every single day before she goes anywhere and before she goes to bed. But when she gets upset and she doesn't feel like she can do something because she's frustrated, I ask her because I trained her to do this. You know, Mackenzie, what can you do? And she'll say, I can do anything, daddy. And then boom, like that, she does it. And the frustration is gone. And it is fucking crazy. So it, it happens every time. Like, I don't care if she's crying because she just skinned her knee. Mackenzie, you know, it's okay. You don't need to cry, baby. But daddy, my knee. Mackenzie, what can you do? I can do anything. Tears are gone. And I started doing that for myself. I was just recently at a workshop after the one that we did together in DC. I flew out to California. And one of the speakers was like, do you have personal mission statement? Do you have affirmations for yourself? You have them for your business and all this, but do you have them for yourself? I was like, no. Shoot. That's awesome. I have opportunity there. So I wrote my own personal mission statement because my self-talk while I knew it was good could be even better. And since then I saw you what two weeks ago. Yeah. My business is almost two X since two weeks ago. Wow. That's nuts. Mm -hmm. It's belief, dude. I love that. And I'm definitely going to steal, as you know, I'm, I just had a daughter, so I'm definitely going to steal that as soon as she's speaking and ready to do it. Oh, absolutely. And you tell her before she even starts speaking, you can do anything. You can do anything. You can do anything. She gets used to hearing daddy say that. She starts believing it before she can say it. Saying it becomes easy. Doing it becomes easy. Dude, I love that so much. That's huge. Um, so where can everybody find you, man? Let's, let's give people an outlet to go get your stuff. You have a lot to offer, obviously, a lot of content, but then also some programs for both clients and, and uh, trainers themselves. So where can everybody find all that? They should go straight to Active Life Rx on Instagram. That's where okay. most of our game is going to be played. And right now we're actually clearing up some branding issues. So the website that we have will not be the website that we continue to have in the next few months. So people are going to listen to this podcast for hundreds of years, obviously, because, you know, it's just so valuable. <laughs> uh, but so just, just go to Active Life Rx on Instagram because that's not changing. I love it, dude. Last question I have for you is a personality question. And here is the situation. You're at a dinner Wait, table. Be, be, before you get there, they can also look for me personally at Sean Pestuch on Instagram. S-E-A-N-P-A-S-T-U-C-H. That's recent. I just started that. That's why I forgot. Yeah. And you've been good about putting out the content. And guys, he's really good about getting back to people. So if you do have questions or you want to learn more about it, just hit him up. He's a great guy to talk to. So your situation is that you are at a dinner table and you have three empty seats and you can pick anybody to eat your favorite dinner with and they can be alive or dead, but they cannot be friends or family. Who is sitting at this dinner table with you? Wow. Three people. Okay. This is going to sound really fucked up. (laughs) I love the start of this. (laughs) Okay. So for anybody who wants, before I even say, I have to preface this because it's going to sound so bad. Um, I'm a Jewish guy from New York. One of the people at my table is Adolf Hitler. hundred um, percent. Explain that real he, quick. That's a guy who told a huge lie to a massive group of people, got all of them to believe it in such an intensely intentional way that they would try to kill off an entire other race of people to fit their narrative. I want to know how to lead people in the way that he led them, just not to use it for negativity. I believe he has to be considered one of the greatest leaders of all time, even if he's a giant piece of shit. Crazy. So, so 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 he's at my table. (laughs) Uh, He's at my table. Now to go the other way, Martin Luther King Jr. is at my table. Love it. For similar reasons, it's, it's kind of like that whole idea of belief. You know, he got a million people to march 
on the National Mall in a time before cell phones or social media. And I think you pulled it off in like two weeks. Yeah, that's crazy. Can you can you imagine having something that you believe so strongly about that you're able to articulate so well that you can get a million people to show up at the same place at the same time on the same day without cell phones or social media? You have to have such insane impact. That's that's crazy way to look at it. Yeah, like that to me that's that's just that's just absolutely wild. Um my third. Shoot. Ooh, my third B. I think my, th- I don't know if this makes any sense. I don't know the name of my third, but it would be a spirit, like the top spiritual leader of an ancient group of people like the Mayans, you know, like whoever the person who they all looked to for virtue and for intention and for direction I would want to have them at the table because that's the person who thinks in very clear terms. And I'd want to get into that. It's not, it's not for a mission. It's not for the betterment of a people. It's because they believe there's a higher power talking to them and they're, they're clear on the message from it. And I'm not a really religious guy. So I would love someone to try to push me on that. Dude. Very well thought out answer. I love that. That was pretty good for being on the spot. Thanks. Really good. So, dude, Sean, thank you so much for coming on, man. I know people are going to get a lot of this. Um, I really appreciate your time, man. No problem. Can I give you one tip for people just because you said those are good answers on the spot and I think I know why I'm able to do that? Absolutely. I too. Absolutely. Um, one of the business coaches who I think is very smart out there is Craig Ballantyne. And he talked about the idea of coming up with 10 ideas a day. And he said it wasn't his thing. It was somebody else's thing that he was stealing. I don't remember who it was, so credit to Craig. But the idea was come up with 10 ideas every single day. doesn't matter what they are. It could be tell me the 10 cars you would most like to drive. Tell me the 10 vacation spots you would most like to go to. Tell me the 10 ways that you can make more money in your business next week. Start writing those things down. And what happens is you'll find the things that you've thought about in the past are easy. Like if I said, come up with 10 places you'd like to go on vacation, it would take you five minutes. You'd have 10 spots written down. If I said, Cody, come up with 10 things you could do tomorrow to increase the value of your business in the next two weeks, you would get through like three or four and the next six would be really hard. The ninth and 10th would be damn near impossible. And then you would look at the first three or four and be like, why aren't I already doing those things? Yeah. And then you would look at the five and six and you'd be like, okay, what do I need to do to get to those? And all of a sudden shit starts happening. But the idea of this exercise is not even to start making things happen. It's that the more often you think of abstract ideas, the easier it becomes to dig in your mind to come up with abstract ideas and solve problems when you need to. So it's a cool thing to do every day. I have a group of people who I mentor. I have seven people right now in my personal and professional development group, starting another one in the next month or two. And that's one of the things I gave them to do. Come up with 10 ideas every single day so that your problem-solving muscle is easier to use. I love that, dude. And I actually had Craig on the podcast, and I think that might have been the only thing he didn't mention, so I'm glad you did. There you go. All right, guys, that is a wrap. I hope you enjoyed the show today. A couple quick announcements before I let you go. First and foremost, I just want to encourage you to check out the products I have in the description. First one is the Nutrition Hierarchy. This is a very cheap guide to literally mastering your diet. That's why it's called the All-Inclusive Guide to Mastering Your Diet. It's going to teach you exactly what and how to manage your calories, your macros, your meal timing, your supplements, your micronutrients, literally everything you need to know about dieting and nutrition and how to change your body composition through nutrition is included in this book, not just to get your results, but to actually teach you how to get those results along the way. 
The next thing is gonna be functional muscle, which is my first and right now my biggest product out there. This is the program that is based on years and years and years of functional training with tons of clients. So whether your goal is strength, fat loss, or muscle gain, you should be strength training towards these goals while prioritizing functional movement patterns to make sure that you are avoiding any injuries along the way. That's exactly what this program does, and it's great because it guides you through the process, it changes throughout the process, and it gives you demonstrations and explanations about everything you're doing so you never get confused and you always have a solution. You also get access into the Boom Boom Performance Podcast Forum. That is the only way into the forum, and that's where you can ask me literally anything about anything, and I will help guide you through the process. Last thing I want to mention, guys, is if you could leave me a five-star rating and review, that would be fantastic because it literally is one of the biggest and best ways for me to grow in the iTunes charts. Oh, yeah, and real quick, if you're not subscribed, hit the damn subscribe button because I constantly bust out content for you guys, and I spent a lot of time and effort making sure that you guys can get better results for free by simply listening to this podcast. All right, guys, I'll catch you next time.